God this morning. We're continuing our study, and in fact, this week we are going to finish Galatians chapter number one. We're going to finish four messages in, and we're already knocking out one chapter, all right? We are like flying through this, all right? Uh, for some of you that have been a part of some of our adventures in the past, as we walk through books of the Bible, you know that it takes us a while to go through things, but we're already knocking out one chapter on the, the fourth week, so we're flying through this thing, all right? Galatians chapter number one is where we're going to be this morning, and uh, we're going to be diving into God's Word together in just a few moments. Before we do, let's pray and ask for the Lord's help, and then we'll open His Word and dive into it uh, together this morning. Let's pray. Father, thank You for the time that You've given us to be able to come together, to be able to open Your Word, and to be able to learn from You. I pray, God, that what we look at this morning, God, it would be a challenge to each person that's here. Thank you, God, for how you've spoken to my heart through this. And I pray, God, that something that we, we look at, God, would be exactly what is needed in the hearts this morning. I ask, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would have the freedom to move in our midst. Lord, that uh, you would captivate our attention, captivate our minds for a few moments. I know we got stuff going on. There's a lot of things happening. But I pray, God, for a few moments we'd bring our thoughts to captivity and be able to hear from you. And God, I pray at the end of the service that your word would be glorified, lifted up, lives would be changed. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. My kids love uh, stories. Uh, in fact, every, almost every day comes to an end by uh, sitting down with, with my three kids and, and either Tressa or I sitting down and reading a, a book to them or, or sometimes they have a Bible book that we'll, we'll read with them. And, uh, sometimes it's, it's both of them, but we'll, we'll finish each day with a book or a story. And, and uh, on the night where maybe we get, get home late or, or things are running a little bit behind and we say, you know what, hey, we're not going to read tonight, we're just going to go to bed, you can hear a, a, an awe amongst all of the children and they're disappointed why they don't get to hear a story. Uh, whenever I was in high school, I remember going over to my my grandpa's house, my mom's dad, and, and uh, he he had some diseases and things that that had made him very weak. And he was he was rather young; he was only in his sixties, but he was. Uh, they said he had the body of a ninety year old man. And uh, I can remember going over to his house, and I remember one time in particular sitting on the back porch with him, and and as he sat there, he had a a, a pretty weak voice. He he didn't have a very strong voice, and so as he spoke, he almost spoke in a whisper. And uh, I remember sitting there and listening to him share stories from whenever he was young. And uh, I mean, I, I just remember sitting there and just being captivated by what he was saying and uh, the way he was saying it. And I mean, just, just hanging on every word and wondering what was going to happen next and, and uh, what was going to be the next story that he was going to with me. Maybe you've had that experience before with a, with a loved one that, that, that maybe was sharing with you things and, and, and you were just uh, captivated by every word, held on to, to everything that was said, just, just waiting for, for what was going to happen next and you couldn't wait and, and, and you, you just couldn't wait to hear the next powerful, exciting story. Paul here in, in Galatians, we've already worked our way down and we found our way to verse number 11. Paul's continuing in his letter of Galatians and he's, he's further defending the gospel that he had preached. He's, he spent uh, these first verses really spending a, a, an immense amount of time and he spends a, a great amount of time throughout the book really defending the gospel that he had preached. And, and he does the same thing in verses 11 and 12. The Bible says this, but I certify you. Brethren, that, that word certify, it has the idea of, I, I want to make things clear for you. I want this to be absolutely crystal clear. It's like he's pulling him in and he's saying, listen closely, I want you to get this. I certify you, 
brethren, that the gospel which, I, which was preached of me is not after man, for I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. He, he, he's saying, listen, I don't want there to be any confusion where the message that I preached came from. It didn't come from me. It wasn't by man. It came from Christ. When we began our study in Galatians, we, we preached a whole message from verse number one. And so we won't belabor the point, but verse number one, the Bible tells us, Paul, an apostle, and he said, not of man, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ. God the Father raised him from the dead right from the beginning. He defended the gospel that he had preached. Listen, it's not a message from me. It's a message from God. And while Paul is diving further into this defense, he continues on and, and he lays out this, this multi-layer time that, that he gives of, of the preparation that God had taken him through to entrust him with the gospel that he had preached. Look at verses 15 through 17. Paul wrote this, When it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me to, by His grace to reveal His Son in me that I might preach among, uh, preach among the heathen, immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. He said, God, God called me to do this. This is the message that I was preaching, okay? And what he's doing is he, he, he begins to go through and he begins to explain, listen, I didn't get this from anybody else. In fact, let me prove it to you. I'll give you my track record and where I came from. And in verse number 17, he says something interesting. He says this, Neither went I up to Jerusalem, to them which were apostles before me. He said, that's where all the Christians were. That's where all the disciples were. He said, that's not where I went. But he said this, But I, I went into Arabia and returned again into Damascus. It's an interesting thing that he says here. In fact, the, the, the mention of Arabia is only found a couple of times in the Scriptures. And I think both of them was when Paul said it. But... He begins to talk about this, and, and uh, he says, listen, I spent some time in Arabia. In Arabia. Now, in Arabia, there was a, was a mountain that we would be familiar of. It was a mountain that, that he further explains and, and actually mentions the name of it over in Galatians chapter number 4, verse number 25. He, he says there, for this agar, or is a Mount Sinai in Arabia. Mount Sinai. We've heard of Mount Sinai before. Mount Sinai was the hill on which Abraham ascended with his son Isaac in Genesis 22. It was on that mountain where God prepared and stretched Abraham's faith as Abraham raised the knife to take his only son's life at God's command. You remember in Genesis 22, verse number 10, the Bible says, Abraham stretched forth his hand, took his knife, slay his son, and the angel of the Lord called unto him uh, out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. He said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now, now I know that thou fearest God, seeing as that thou hast withheld thy son, thine only son, not held the, withheld thy son, thine only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, Behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his thorns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. I mean, it was on this mountain that God stretched Abraham's faith. That Abraham was, was, was prepared by God for some of the greater things that, that God had for his life. It was on Mount Sinai about after 40 years of living in the backside of the desert. 
A humbled shepherd who once walked the palaces of Egypt removed his shoes as he stood at a bush that was burning but not consumed. The place where God has spent 40 years preparing Moses to go and do something that was far too great for him. It was on that same mountain, Mount Sinai, that Moses would once again find himself as he watched the finger of God carve the Ten Commandments into the tablets of stone. Yes, Arabia was a place where God had spent time working and preparing his vessels for his service. And we find in this verse, in verse number 18 actually, that Paul spent three years in that place of preparation between Arabia and Damascus. You know, it's a period of time that we really don't know very much about. The apostles' life, much of it is recorded throughout the book of Acts, and then you go into the, the epistles, and, and you, you can find much of what Paul talks about, about his life, as you go through First and Second Corinthians, and Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians, and, and First and Second Thessalonians, and Titus. And you go through all of these books that are recorded. You can learn much about his life, where he was, and some of the things that he did, but... This time in Arabia, we know almost nothing about. And I think Paul was intentional about that. Because sometimes those places that are quiet, they're on the backside of the desert. Those preparation places, those are some of the sweetest times that you can have with God. You ever found yourself in a time where it just doesn't seem like anything's happening? You expected to be in a different place by now, further along in whatever it is that you're doing. Maybe you thought you'd be promoted to a higher position or in a different, uh, more ideal life stage by this point in time. I'm sure everyone in this room expected that you would have had more money by now, all right? You know, we've probably all been there thinking, yeah, uh, by this point, finally, we'll have enough money that we can do this project or that project or this or that. And, and here you are and you're going, what happened? It didn't go the way that I thought it would feels like you're in a waiting place, a holding pattern. Can I remind you this morning, God's in the preparation. God is in the waiting place. When Paul and Moses were in Arabia on the backside of the desert, listen, the world continued on. They had friends and that were promoted. They had family that moved on to next stages of their lives. The world kept turning and Moses and Aaron, excuse me, Moses and Abraham, and I'm sure Paul as well discovered that it was in the waiting place that God was preparing them to do greater things for him. It was a special place of preparation with God. Friend, don't, don't grow weary in the waiting places of life. Psalm 27 verse 14 says, Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and He shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. It's in those places where God is doing the stretching, where God is doing the growing, where God is doing the preparing. Listen, it's those places that God's doing those things so that He can prepare you to do something greater for Him than you ever could have planned for. Ephesians 3.20 tells us, Now unto Him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we could ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. 
See, as we make plans and preparations for our own life, God steps in and says, listen, I have a better plan for you. And I've got you in this place for this time. And you're sitting here and thinking, God, I thought I'd be further along, or I thought this would work out by now, or I thought this, I thought that. And God says, wait, I've got you in this place for a reason. I'm preparing you for something greater. And that's where Paul found himself. Paul continues his proof of the gospel's authenticity as he records in, in verses 18 through 22. He goes on and, and he writes for us, Then after three years I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him fifteen days. And other of the apostles I saw none save James, the Lord's brother. Now the things which I write unto you, behold, before God I lie not. Okay, this is the truth. Afterwards I came into the regions of Syria and Cilicia and was unknown by face into the churches of Judea, which were... Uh, in Christ. He, what is he doing here? Paul is furly, further proving uh, to these, these Galatian believers, he's writing to them and saying, listen, I didn't learn these things by some, from um, some overzealous fanatic. I didn't learn these things spending time with a religious leader. I didn't spend enough time with Peter to gain all the knowledge and the things that I would have needed to learn. No, he says these things, they didn't come from, from, from some person he says, listen, the gospel that I preach to you came from God himself. I'm not going to belabor because we've already preached multiple messages about this, but friend, understand, the gospel of this book is not a message that some man dreamed up. Any time that a man gets involved in creating another gospel, which Paul said, you know, we saw last time, that, that it's not another gospel, he adds works to it, and it becomes nothing more than empty religion. No, Galatians tells us, it makes it very clear, it's from Jesus Christ and God the Father. And if any of those believers in Galatia were still struggling with what was the true gospel, Paul is beginning to put that nail in the coffin of that argument. There's only one gospel, and it's from God. Now, we're only 12 minutes into the message. We could just wrap up the message right now and, and, you know, end on a solid note, you know, and we could all go home early and have an early lunch, but I want you to get what you paid for, okay? So uh, we'll just, uh, we'll keep going. I believe there's another lesson that we can learn in these verses that I hope will leave all of us this morning as we walk out the door with something, something that's helpful, something that's a challenge, Something that's an encouragement. And it stems from verse number 13. Paul wrote this. He says, you've, you've heard of my conversation in time past. You've heard of my conversation. The word conversation in the Bible has the idea of the manner of life. It's not just our, our, our speaking it's, it's, our, it's a whole encompassing of our, of our life. Paul's, Paul's saying, I, I, I've shared with you my past manner of of life, or, or we could say it this way, you've heard my story. You've heard my story. And then Paul dives into something that I that would seem to be something that he would rather bury than to share. As he rehashes his story, he begins by sharing his mistakes. His mistakes. Look there again at verse number 13. You have heard of my conversation, my life, my story in time past in the Jews' religions, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God 
and wasted it. Paul had been a persecutor of Christians. In Acts chapter number 7, Stephen is brought before a council and he proclaims the truth of who Jesus is. It's an incredible message. And as he gets to the end of it, listen, he wraps up this message by just going right at him. Listen, you, when you hear what, what Stephen had to say, you're going to love this preacher, okay? Listen to what he called him. In verse number 51, he said, "Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. Ouch! I mean, like, that's what he said to him. He said, you're a bunch of stiff-necked people. He says, you do always resist the Holy Ghost. You know what he did? He looked and he said, listen, you're a bunch of hard-hearted, I mean, uh, you know, like uh, strong-headed uh, bunch of people that refuses to answer and respond to God. How would you like it if I did that? I would never do that to you. I like you too much, okay? But that's what he did. That's what Stephen did. He says, which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? He said, you've, you've persecuted all the prophets, and, and they have slain them which showed before the coming of the just one, of whom you have, now, uh, you have been now the betrayers and murderers, who have received the law by the dispensation of angels and have not kept it. He, he looks at him and he says, listen, it's you, as he finishes up this message, he says, you're the one that killed Jesus. You're the one that killed the Son of God. And the people responded the same way I'm confident all of you would if I preached like that to you. <laughs> when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. And they gnashed on him with their teeth, okay? Now, this is getting crazy, all right? They started biting him. That's how angry they were, all right? This is like a whole nother level. We try to teach our kids not to bite each other. Can you imagine? And then in Acts chapter number 7, verse 58, it says, And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. But don't miss this last part. The witnesses, the ones that were doing the stoning, they laid down their clothes at a young man's feet, whose name was Saul. The laying down of the coats at his feet was a sign that it was Paul who had commissioned and approved this murder. Think about that. The first martyr that we find in the Bible, the first martyr in the scriptures, in the, here, here after Jesus' resurrection and ascension, the first martyr that we find his story, Stephen, took place at the hands of Paul. And now here in Galatians, Paul shares with these young believers his story. And unfortunately, his story contained mistakes that he had made. Because, friend, it doesn't get much bigger than murder. Friend, are there mistakes in your past? That's a rhetorical question, okay? So you don't have to answer it out loud, all right? If we were to flip through the pages of the story of your life, would we find places there are blemishes and brokenness, regrets, pains, heartbreak? When Paul was sharing his story, and undoubtedly was doing it with a tear in his eye, he didn't share his, his mistakes out of joy. He wasn't glorying in them. No, he was sharing them as a message of hope. It's as if he was saying... You remember where I came from. There's hope for you. We all have things in our past that we're thankful they're in our past. Things that we're thankful that nobody in this room maybe knows about. That, that we're thankful that, that we can just keep tucked away because we don't want anybody to know about them because what would they think of us if they knew? Can't escape what you've done, what happened to you. 
became a victim of things that took place in your life. Friend, can I encourage you to learn a lesson from the Apostle Paul today? Rather than allowing the devil to use your past to destroy your future, use it as a weapon in your hand to encourage others that there is still hope. There is still hope. See, Paul could have hid his story and ran past his mistakes, but instead he embraces had brought him to this place and turned it around and used it as a club to beat the devil with. And if you are living under the burden of guilt, if you are living under the bondage of something from your past, friend, deal with it with God. Give it to Him. Understand that it was all part of His plan. Whether we understand it or not, God had a purpose and He wants to use it for His glory. He has a way of taking the broken pieces and putting them together and making something beautiful. And friend, whenever you trust what God has said, when He says that He has forgiven you, maybe you've got sin in your life that you look back and you say, man, I'm glad that nobody knows about this, but you know that God does and the devil brings that back as a constant reminder in your mind. And every time you want to do something for Him, the devil comes around and he sits on your shoulder there and he points and says, well, wait a second, what about this that you did? And you sit back there and you go, oh no, uh, he knows about it. Everybody's going to know about it. And you walk into a room and you think, man, who knows about what I did? And you're just so overcome by this burden and what took place in your life. Hey, I want to share a couple verses with you. The Bible tells us in Psalm 103, verse number 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. You know what never touches? East and west. They just keep going in opposite directions forever. And God says that's how far your sins he's removed from you. And Chapter number 7, verse number 19, he says, He will turn again. He will have compassion upon us. He will subdue our iniquities. And thou wilt cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. Hey, listen, back when this was written, can I tell you something? They didn't know how deep the ocean was. It went on forever as far as they knew. You know what they were saying? They're gone. God took care of it. It's gone. It's taken care of. Hebrews chapter number 10, verse number 17. I love the verse. And their sins and their iniquities... I remember no more. I love that verse because, listen, it doesn't say he forgot them. It says he remembers them no more. If Jesus, if God just forgot them, then that implies he could remember them sometime. No, 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 no. He remembers them no more. He intentionally decided, listen, I'm not thinking about that. I'm not bringing that up again. I'm not going to remember them ever again. Friend, stop living bondage of your past. Stop letting the devil have victory in your life because you refuse to take what God has done in your life and use it to turn around and beat the devil over the head with it. God, use what's going on in your life. Don't allow sin and circumstances to rob you of the life that God intends for you to live. God has greater plans for you and he wants to use what you have been through to encourage someone else. And that's what Paul was doing here says, guys, you remember my past. I persecuted. I killed. Guys, I've got mistakes. But he didn't stop there. And Paul kept going. He brings up some empty successes in his life. In verse number 14, he says, And I profited in the Jews' religion above many my equal and mine own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my father's. Paul was at the top of the religious world. He wasn't just a Pharisee. The Bible tells us he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was a leader amongst them. 
The Pharisees sought to live not just by the Ten Commandments, but by the 613 Jewish commandments that are in the law. And if that wasn't enough already, they tried to add more commands to those commandments. These guys were crazy. I mean, that's what they were. They were just religious fanatics. That's what it was. Now it's impossible for them to keep even the Ten Commandments, let alone the 613. By Paul's personal testimony, he was one of the best at giving the appearance of living by them and enforcing them on others. That's who Paul was. Man, he was the, he was the cream of the crop, the top of the class. I mean, he was the best of the best. Paul was a Pharisee of the Pharisee. He was a leader amongst leaders. That's who Paul was. But by Paul's testimony... He goes on, and he tells us what it was, what it really was. All the worldly success in Philippians chapter number 3, verse number 4. He says, Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he must, might trust in the flesh, I more. He goes on, he says, I was circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, the Hebrew of the Hebrews, touching the law of Pharisee, concerning seal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. He says, listen, I had everything. I was a powerful young leader. Notoriety, influence, winning the world. But what Paul discovered is that all those successes in the world only led to emptiness. In those next verses, in seven and, verses 7 and 8, he says, but what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. It, doubtless I count the loss, all thing, uh, I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ, Jesus Christ my Lord, for whom I suffered the loss of all things. And I count them but dung, that I may win Christ. Paul knew something that a lot of our 21st century Christians don't get. He knew that living for God in place of all the worldly success was not a sacrifice. I've met many Christians, I've heard preachers even that stand up and they'll share their story of who they were before Christ. And they'll talk about it. They'll talk about all their worldly ambitions and successes that they had achieved and, and how, how great things that they had accomplished, you know, in the world. And, and they'll say something like this, but then I gave it all up to serve Jesus. Oh, what a sacrifice. I get where they're coming from, but it's a fault, flawed premise. See, they believed they were accomplishing something that mattered outside of Christ. Something that mattered in the scope of eternity. And friend, there's nothing that matters any eternal significance outside of Christ. It is no sacrifice to leave serving the God of self to serve the God of the universe. Chapter number 12 tells us, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, I'm begging you, Paul writes, by the mercies of God, I mean, what he's done for you, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God. It's your reasonable service. Don't be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect, listen, will of God. Listen, for I say, through the grace given unto me, he says, to every man that is among you, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. That's what he says there. No. Think soberly. 
according as God had dealt to every man the measure of faith. He says, you think too highly of yourself. You think that you were something and God was lucky when you said, okay, God, I volunteer. If you think God gains something because you're willing to give up something in your life for him, you are mistaken. It's in some ways a miracle of his grace and mercy because none of us deserve to be used. By the way, don't forget, God used a donkey to accomplish his plan and deliver his message. So don't get too high on yourself. Instead, Point like Paul to the life that you once lived to emphasize how much greater your life is living for Jesus. Paul telling his story. His story included his mistakes. His story, it included empty successes. But his story, it, it included his purpose in Christ. Look again at verses 15 and 16. But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by His grace to reveal His Son in me that I might preach Him among the heathen, immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. See, Paul spent two verses talking about his past mistakes. You know what some people do? They dwell and spend all their time on what's happened to them in the past. They're consumed by it. Let's be honest, if this was us writing, we'd spend all our time talking about what happened to us or what we did or the mistakes that we made, the successes that we had. The scroll would be so long. Do you know what Paul did? He said, guys, I made mistakes. I had successes. But let me tell you about what really matters. See, those things in Paul's past were a part of his life. While he may have been broken over them, and now realize the emptiness there was in them, he didn't pretend like they were not there or didn't happen. Because God's plan was perfect, and God had a purpose for them. And God used them to weave a perfect path to where he was on that day when he was pinning this letter. From before he was born, God had a purpose for Paul. And now, on the other side of the mistakes and the empty successes... He had a purpose in Christ. Philippians chapter number 3, Paul is writing again, and I love this. He says in verse number 10, that I may know him, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering, being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I'd already attained. Either we're already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which I am apprehended of Christ. Now don't miss this. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. What are saying there? He says, guys, I haven't arrived. If Paul said that, listen, we all got a ways to go, okay? That's just the way that it is. I haven't arrived. But this one thing I do, he says, forgetting those things which are behind. There'd be some of you in this room, it'd be good for you to make this verse your verse. What was he forgetting? Those mistakes. God forgot him. Why was he dredging him up? Forgetting those things which are behind. Successes. Look at who I am. No, no, no. 
It's all loss, except for Christ. No, no, I'm going to put those things and I'm going to leave them back where they were. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to reach forth into those things which are before. I'm going to press toward the mark of the prize of the whole high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Paul was not defined by his past and what, uh, what it contained. He was defined by who he was in Christ. You see, while the world would have bound him to the label of murderer, Christ had freed him and called him to be a missionary. While the world would have bound him and given him the label of a Pharisee, Christ had freed him and called him to be a preacher. Paul was loose from the labels of this world and was given a purpose in Christ. And, and if you are the sum of what makes up your past, it's only because that's what you want it to be. You see, there is one who frees you from the bondage of who you were or the best of who you could be. And he calls you to something more. He calls you not to find an identity in what you do, not to find your identity in what has happened to you. Not to find your identity in the successes or failures that have happened in your life. No, he calls yourself to find your identity in Christ. In Christ. Not in your family. Not in your kids. Not in anything else but in the only one who never fails in Christ. See, Christ had a way of turning prostitutes into proclaimers of his grace and mercy. Just ask the woman at the well and the woman caught in adultery. Christ had a way of turning deceivers into disciples. Just ask Matthew, the tax collector that was despised by all. Christ had a way of turning maniacs into his messengers of the truth. Just ask the maniac of Gadara. Listen, there's hope for all of us. <laughs> Christ had a way of turning successful fishermen into fishers of men. Just ask Peter, James, and John. And listen, Christ had a way of turning a murderer into a man used to write his scriptures. Just ask Moses. Just ask David. Oh, by the way, just ask Paul. Friend, God can take your story and make something incredible out of it. You know, the most beautiful part of what Paul is saying here comes in the last verse of this chapter. Verse number 24. Paul says there, And they glorified God and me. He says, My story, it's not for my glory. It was all for God's. That's the reason what happened to me happened. That's the reason the things that I went through, I went through. These are the things I didn't understand and I couldn't comprehend. And, and I, I sat there and I said, why is this happening to me? And he says, listen, I went through all those things and it was for a purpose. It wasn't for me. It was for him. So that one day, I could take this pen, O churches of Galatia, I could put it on this parchment and I could tell you, look what God did with my life. Look what he did through my life. Friend, as you looked at your 
messed up, state-covered, empty, success-filled life, can I remind you, it's all part of a greater story. 2 Corinthians 3 tells us in verses 2 and 3, You are our epistles written in our hearts, known and read of all men. For as much as you're manifestly declared to be the epistles of Christ ministered by us, written not with ink, your life, what is it? But with the Spirit of the living God, not on tables of stone, but on fleshly tables of the heart. He says, your life is writing a story. Well, let me ask you, friend, who's going to get the glory for your story? The story that is being written. The story of how Christ can, can and will redeem you from your sins. How he will give you eternity in heaven. How Jesus Christ came and died on the cross. And when you realize that, that, listen, I can't gain eternity on my own. I can do all these things, but it will all fall short according to the Bible. And listen, it's not of my works. Otherwise, I would boast about it. No, it's the gift of God. It's the gift of God through Jesus Christ. That while I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. You know who gets the glory for that? It isn't me. It's him. Friend, this morning, if you're trusting in yourself to get to heaven, you're robbing from the glory of God. And you'll never get there on your own. Stop robbing from him this morning. And instead, surrender to his plan. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. How do you do it? Well, the Bible makes it real clear. We're all sinners. We all deserve punishment. The wage of sin is death, eternity, separation from God. But Jesus Christ died on the cross and he gives you the gift of God. That's eternal life. That's through Jesus Christ, your Lord. How do you receive it? Well, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. With the heart man believeth unto righteousness. With the mouth confession is made unto salvation. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter number 10, verse number 9. What do I have to do, Kai? God, you died for me. Me. Paid for my sin. God, will you forgive me for my sin? I'm trusting in you and you alone. Who gets all the glory? Not me. It's all God. What about the story of how Christ will take your life and make something incredible with it? Friend, let go of the pen and let the greatest author have full control. He wants to write a story with your life that can be used to encourage and to challenge all those who read it. And as he does, share your story. A story all about God's glory through your life. Because friend, you don't know who's listening that needs to hear it. And until your final breath is breathed, God isn't done with your story. He's still writing. Which means there's still hope. Friend, this morning it's your story. And God wants to make it a powerful one.
this morning. Let's choose to let him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time you've given us in your word. Thank you, God, for the greatest story that's ever been written. The story of